Hallelujah. Amen. Well, it's great to be back with my village family. So I hope y'all miss your wonderful pastor. Had a, we had some good time off. Went to visit my in-laws in South Carolina for a, for, for a few days. So it was a good trip. Had some good rest. And it's good to be back home to the village church. So if you have your Bible, please open it to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. We're going to be looking at Judges 6, verse 25 today. I know the bulletin says 25 through 32, but you would have been here all day long. So I decided to have mercy on you. We do one verse. The church reformed and always being reformed according to the word of God. The church reformed and always being reformed according to the word of God. This phrase came out of the the Protestant Reformation. And it means that the church must objectively re-examine herself according to God's word in order to maintain purity in doctrine and practice. Reformed and always being reformed. Now, let me ask you this question. Is this Reformation principle being applied in the church today? The church in our wonderful country. Is it being applied in your life? Reformed and always being reformed. Does the church in America re-examine herself in order to maintain purity in doctrine and practice? You see, we all remember the Protestant Reformation. You may have studied it in your history class. We read about it. There are are conferences about it. We listen to lectures about it. We even have a day in which we celebrate it in October every year. But the necessity of the modern church to always be reforming according to the word of God can get lost. It can get lost. And I personally believe it is being lost. But what do you think when you look at the church in our country? I believe there needs to be an awakening within the American church among God's covenant people, a Reformation awakening. And yeah, I know, I stole that from Star Wars, but it works. (laughs) The church needs a Reformation awakening. Have you seen it? Have you sensed it? If not, then there are no worries, because this morning we're going to look in the book We're going to look in God's word in a particular book where the Reformation does awaken. It was it's an Old Testament book written a long, long time ago in a period of time that's far, far gone. But it's still relevant to you today. God's word is still relevant for you today, even the Old Testament books. And that book is the book of Judges. And it's been a while since since we've been there together, but we're back in it this morning. And I hope you're ready. I got my amen sign ready. And I will use it if I have to. I will use it. So get ready. We're going to continue to look at more lessons of faith from the life of Gideon. And the lesson of faith today is the Reformation awakens. Here's God's word, Judges 6, verse 25. That night the Lord said to Gideon, Gideon, Take your father's bull 
and the second bull seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. Please pray with and for me. Eternal Father, as we come to your truth, we need your spirit. I mean, that's, that's what we need. We need your spirit to, to, to help us to understand. We can't worship if your spirit doesn't draw our hearts into it. Well, we can come and play church. We can come and sing. We can come and look good. We can come and say the right things. But if the spirit is not here, worship does not take place. Nothing takes place apart from him moving. So, Holy Spirit, we need you to come and speak to our hearts. We need you to come to minister to our hearts. We need you to come to, to move the preacher to the side. Because the preacher is just a sinner, just like everybody else. The preacher is in need of grace, just like everybody else. So, Holy Spirit, you are the counselor. You are the one who is to lead us into all truth. You are the one who is to remind us of Christ's word. And so we need you to do that today. Not for our glory but for the glory of him who died to take away all of our sins. And I pray for all of this in Christ's name. Amen. The last time we saw our beloved brother Gideon, he was in this deep, deep conversation with the angel of the Lord. Angel of the Lord, I don't know if you remember that. It was a long time ago since, we, since you heard that sermon. But in this conversation, Gideon is telling this angel, I need proof of presence that you are the angel of the Lord speaking with me. I need proof that it's you who's making all these promises to me that I'm going to deliver deliver Israel from from Midian. I need need proof that it's you who's telling me these things. Getting to receive this proof. He he finally realized that, that this was the angel of the Lord speaking with him. And he received the call to be a judge. Now, it wasn't without fear. Great fear came over our brother when he realized, man, that was the angel of the Lord I was talking to. But God ministered to his fears. Gideon says in verse 22, Oh, no, O Lord God, for I now have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. That was fear. But God didn't leave him in his fear. Instead, he ministered to that fear. He says to Gideon, Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. You shall not die. The Lord spoke shalom to him. That is peace into Gideon's fear, and Gideon received it, and then he built an altar to the Lord. What did he call the altar, if you remember? Yahweh is shalom. Yahweh is peace. Gideon's actions were were a sign that he received a call for the Lord to be a judge, and his actions also showed that the Reformation has awakened within him. And that awakening brings us to where we are in Judges 6, 25. You see, first, the Reformation awakens brings a rejection to idolatry. The Reformation awakens brings a rejection to idolatry. For Christians, idolatry means to worship other people, places, and things, and not Jesus. It means you you worship them as your God. Or you worship them alongside of Jesus, as if Jesus can coexist with false gods. Idolatry is you giving the praise, the worship, and the honor to other things but Jesus. 
is as if you're singing that last song we sung to other things and not him. That's idolatry. So it's the right course of action for the Reformation awakens to reject idolatry. That's the first thing it should do in the church, in you, in Israel, and even in Gideon's life. We know that the Reformation awakened when, when he received a call that owned it, but Gideon still has issues. He still had issues. And I want you to think about that. Do you think Gideon committed idolatry? Do you think he committed idolatry? Do you think he was an idol worshiper when the angel of the Lord came to him? When he was beaten out that week. Yes. He was. See, the scriptures do not romanticize the men and women of the Bible like we do our Christian heroes. Because we like to romanticize them as if they had no issues, as if they had no flaws. Please know Gideon grew up in a time where the whole community of Israel were worshiping false gods. All of them. Either they were rejected Yahweh or at least they worshiped Yahweh alongside the gods of the surrounding nations. So please understand, Gideon isn't the one man standing with his Yahweh flag still flying. He's not there with his straight out of idolatry T-shirt on. No, he's knee deep in idolatry. He's knee deep with everybody else. In fact, He was raised in a family who worshiped false gods. Did you know that? Did you know that? He was raised in a family. He was brought up in a family who worshiped false gods. You see, Gideon and Israel, they don't just need deliverance from oppression from the Midianites. They need reformation from their idolatry as well. They need deliverance and they need reformation. They need both of them to take place. And when the Reformation awakens, it will lead the church and believers to reexamine themselves according to God's word. We won't just celebrate a Reformation that happened a long, long time ago, but we'll pray and long for it to happen today in 2016. We need it today. You need it. I need it. Your family needs it. My family needs it. The church needs it. Every denomination needs it across the world, not just in America. We always have to re-examine ourselves according to God's word to maintain purity in doctrine and practice. The Reformation Awakens is simply the quote I read at the beginning. The church reformed and always being reformed according to the word of God. That's what it means. And when the Reformation awakens in you, it will do that. And it's going to do that in Gideon's life and within the whole covenant community here. So after Gideon built this altar of peace, Yahweh's peace altar, after he built the altar called Yahweh's peace, he goes on about his day, I would imagine, on cloud nine, really high. Think about it. When you go to, when you have that good experience at a conference, when you have this encounter with God, you, you're on a high you, you feel like you can conquer the world. And so I imagine that's, that's what's going on in his mind. But later on that day, the Lord returns to our dear brother. 
Later on that night, he comes again and gives him a command to do something. Now, it's not the angel of the Lord this time. Now, it's Yahweh himself coming to Gideon. He's going to say, I need you to do something. It's not a suggestion. It's not an idea. I'm going to give you clear instructions on what I want you to do, and I want you to do it. The Lord says to him, take your father's bull and your father's second bull. And I want you to pull down the altar of Baal that your father owns and uh, Shearer that is beside it. Think about that. Stop for a moment and think about what the Lord is asking this brother to do. Imagine yourself being Gideon, receiving those instructions. You want me to do what? You want me to tear down what? It's not even my stuff. It's not even my animals, but you want me to take what? Do you think he's jumping up and down, ready to march on for the Lord? Kids, do you jump up and down when your parents tell you to do something that you're not excited about? Like clean your room, go do your homework, take out the trash. Are you jumping up and down? Yes, I'm going to do that. What about you parents and adults? When you're on your job and your boss comes in and tells you to do something that you know ain't in your job description, what are you going to do? Are you jumping up and down? Yes, sir. I'm going to do that. Your Kool-Aid smile turns to a frown. That's what happens. And that's just being real. Your Kool-Aid smile turns to a frown. This is what Gideon is dealing with. He didn't expect this. Because the angel told him he was going to deliver the Israel from the Mennonites. That's what the angel told him. The angel told him, you're going to even have success. The angel didn't say anything to him about tearing down his father's property. He didn't, he didn't say any of those things. And now all of a sudden, the Lord comes back. Here's one thing you need to do. I need you to go take your father's two bulls. I need you to pull down that altar, tear down that tree. Gideon is in a dilemma. He has his commands, but he's also afraid of his family. Fear has come back up inside of Gideon. You know that nervous type of fear that makes you weak all over your body? When you feel like you can't walk and you can't hardly talk and you can't get your words out? Like, what, 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 what you say again, Lord? What, 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 you want me to do what? I said, Gideon, I wanted you to take your father's bull and his second bull, seven years old, and I want you to pull down that altar of Baal. I want you to cut down that Asherah that is beside it. Or am I clear, Gideon? So can you identify with our brother? Can you relate to him? Put yourself in his shoes, being commanded to do what the Lord has just commanded him to do. The Lord's command is appropriate, but I understand Gideon's fear. I would have the same type of fear. It's what, when the Reformation awakens in you, it will leave you and call you to reject idolatry. It will do that. It will do that in you, in the church. We know that Gideon was called to be a judge. We know that, that, Yah, that he built an altar to Yahweh. 
But this brother still had idolatry issues that the Lord needs to deal with. And he does that by issuing him this command. And, and, and if he does the issue, if he does the command, if he follows through, it will show the Lord that Gideon is willing to reject the idols he was brought up to worship. He was raised to worship these gods, Baal and Asherah. Baal is a Canaanite god of storm and fertility. That's what kind of god he is. He's, he's known as the, the god of the sun, the god of the storm, the leader of gods, the maker of rain. The Lord of the earth. That, that sounds familiar? Who does that sound like? The protector of crops and livestock. He even takes the form of a bull. That's Baal. And this is who Israel is worshiping. And Asherah, she's the mother of gods. The goddess of fortune and happiness. That's who she is. She's a companion of Baal. And usually she has a, a, sacred, a sacred tree planted beside a, a Canaanite worship site. And that is what we have in Israel right now. A Canaanite worship site that the people of Israel are bound down to and worshiping. These are false gods that that Israel is worshiping. The ones that Gideon worshiped. Again, who owns the altar of Baal? Who owns the tree? It belongs to his daddy. And so if it walks like a duck, if it swims like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, then what? It's a duck. This brother worships idols. You can't tell me his whole family is doing it and not him. At some point, he has bowed down to these idols. At some point in his life. And they go to these idols to get from them what only Yahweh can give them. Protection, provision, security, happiness, peace prosperity, giving all their allegiance and all their loyalty to false gods. So now, what about you? What about you? What are your bells? What are your asherahs, your sacred trees that you have planted in your life? What are your altars? What are they? A few weeks ago on Facebook, I, I posted this question. You know, what are some of the bells and the shearers of American culture that the church worships in our country? I got some great responses. Once the person said church size, music style, safety, fear as entertainment, comfort, politics, money, control, standard of living, the church itself, the beloved pastor, reputation, social status, Theology, possessions, culture, the American dream, consumer approach to church, our kids' grades and our kids' extracurricular activities, sports, security. Have I hit yours yet? Have I hit yours yet? Have I stepped on your toes yet? What are your idols that you bow down to alongside of Jesus? See, many of us, we're good Christian folks, so we're not going to reject Jesus, but we will worship other things alongside of him. That's what we do. That's our idolatry. We have Jesus here, then we have our other little saviors here. Do you know what they are? Do you know what those saviors are? 
Because we, when we go to these idols, wherever they are, if it's money, if it's security, if it's comfort, if it's just want to have the American dream, whatever it may be, what you're doing, you want those things to give you what only Jesus can give you. Peace, security, purpose. These idols, they promise much. Idols are like politicians. They promise much but deliver very little. That's what they are. They make big promises, but they never will deliver on what they promise you. Human beings, we're worshiping beings. That's who we are. We will worship anything. I'll worship this tree here if I can get something from it. That's who we are. We're created to worship. And so even the atheist, even the person who doesn't believe in God, still worships something. He does. And so if you're here and you're thinking, well, none of this applies to me, then you're blind. Everybody worships something. Everybody has a God. Everybody has a Savior that they run to. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus and you don't have faith in him, but you have faith in something, you have saviors that you run to to make you happy. You have something you run to to make you feel good about yourself, something that's going to give you purpose. And whatever that is, that is your God. Whatever you feel like you can't live without, that's your God. That's your Savior. That's your idol. And so, I ask you this. If you don't know Christ, are you tired of running? From here to there to there to there. Trying to find what you can only find in Jesus. There's no human being. There's no amount of money that can replace the void in your life that only Christ can fill. You can have it all. You can win in this lottery, and you still ain't going to be happy. You can win all that money that's still waiting there, but you know what? That still ain't going to make you happy. You still ain't going to find what you're looking for. Because what your heart longs for is a Savior. But will you come to that Savior? Will you come to him and surrender to him? In faith. Now, if you know Christ and you already have a relationship with Christ, please know that what the Lord is saying to Gideon, he is saying to each of you as well. Because he knows you have idols in your life. And he's saying to you, go cut them down. Go tear down that altar. Listen, the Lord could have tore it down himself. You do realize that, right? He could have sent a, a cloud of storm and tore it down himself. But he wants you to tear down your own idols. It's in your life. He, he's not going to beg you to worship him. He ain't a beggar. And so he wants you to choose as a Christian. Who do you love more? Me or your stuff? Me or your possessions? Me or your status? Me or your reputation? Me or your house? Me or your car? Me or your self-glory? Who do you love more? Please know there's only one who died for your sins. None of this other stuff is going to, take, going to go with you when you go to glory. You're going to pass it on to someone else. Who do you love more? Gideon's first responsibility as a judge is to tear down the idols within his own life and within his own family. 
But the first thing, his first, his, his first responsibility wasn't to go fight the Midianites. He, he, that was not his first responsibility. His first responsibility was to take care of home. Look at the church in America. Are we taking care of home? Or are we worried about out there? We worry about out there. We don't take care of home first. Reformation can't happen in the culture if it's not happening in the church. You can't expect unchristian marriages to be healthy when yours is not healthy. If, if, you're, if you're a Christian, if I'm a bad dad, I cannot look down on unbelieving dads who are bad dads. Because I'm a Christian and I'm not living out my faith. And so as a church, as a church, as believers, we got to reexamine ourselves. Are we living up to what God wants us to be? Are we? We're the bride of Christ. We're the salt of the world. And if we are a reformed church, always reforming, then we need to reexamine ourselves as families, as a church, and ask ourselves, are we maintaining purity and doctrine and practice as a church? Are we? We do this with, with the government. We do this with our schools. We do this with all these other things that's going on in the world. But do we do it here? In the church, who are we? Are we reforming according to God's word? Or we think we already got it figured out? I need to do this. You need to do this. The church needs to do this. Why do you think the Lord hates idolatry? He hates it because it destroys true worship. It destroys true worship. It robs God of his glory. Think about that. Your idolatry robs Jesus of his glory. Every time you bow down to something else, you're giving the praise and honor that you say you're going to give to Jesus and you're giving it to something else. That's idolatry. Jesus did not go to the cross for your sins. So that you can build altars to other gods. He died and saved you and brought you to the place you truly belong. Idolatry is you looking for love in all the wrong places. You're going to continue to look for love in all the wrong places until you come to Christ. Jesus is your happy place as a believer. There are no other happy places but in him. Jesus is your happy place. He will always be your happy place. Any other happy places are sinking sand. Please know that. Remember that as we move on this year, as we head into the election season, Jesus is your happy place. All other happy places are sinking sand. So if you're looking for something, man, to make you happy in that office, then guess what? You're going to be very disappointed. There's only one who doesn't disappoint, and that is Christ. That is Jesus. He is your protector. He is your redeemer. He is your provider. He is your Lord. He is your sustainer. He is your security. He is the one who forgives you. He is the one who saved you. He is the one that's going to take care of you. He is the one who disciplines you. He is the one who loves you. He is the one who died for you when you were a sinner. That is Jesus. 
That's the one who wants your worship. That's the one who wants your loyalty and your allegiance. That's Jesus. He will not compete with the affections of your heart with other gods. He wants it all because he gave it all for you when he died on the cross for your sins. So you should be jumping up and down and say, yes, Lord, I'm going to tear down my idols. Thank you. I forgot about you. Because of what he's done for you, you, when he shows you idols in your heart, you should be willing to destroy them. You should be willing to let them go. But will you? As a church, we should be willing to examine ourselves and be able to admit, yes, we have fallen short here. A church reformed and always reforming, it knows that the slip into idolatry is always evil. A church reformed and always reforming knows that the slip into idolatry is always easy. Look at, remember Israel, they always fell into idolatry. You think that stopped with God's people in the Old Testament? <laughs> remember, God led them, he, he parted the Red Sea for these people. He led them by, what, by, by fire by night and a cloud by day. They saw these miracles, and guess what? They still fell into idolatry. And you don't think the church today still has the same struggles? We do. To slip into idolatry is always easy. And a reformed church that's always reforming knows that it can reject idolatry, the big ones and the small ones. A church reformed and always reforming knows that the first step to reject idolatry is repentance. Repentance. Not beating yourself up, but it's going to the throne of grace and say, Jesus my money is my idol. My security is my God. My preaching is my God. I'm talking to myself right now because these are my struggles. What are yours? What are yours? And when you repent, that's you cutting down your trees. That's you destroying your altars. Let us pray. Father God, I acknowledge that I have Bells in my heart, in my life. I do. Fear of man, that's, that's one of mine. Man's praise, that's one of mine. Morning glory, that's one of mine. My role as a father and husband, that's an idol. And so, Lord, you know them. I own them. I admit them to you. But I also pray you help me to cut, cut down the trees, destroy the altars, because there's only one God who loves me and loves us, and that is Jesus. And so I pray for each of us as we begin a new week that we will go out knowing that we all have idols, but there's always forgiveness at the cross. Help us to see. Lead us to repentance. I pray that the Reformation will awaken in the church, in our country, in our church, in our families, that we will have a true revival, a true revival within the church. Lord, within our families and, and everything that's going on, that you will move, Father. We need the Spirit to do this. He has to do this. And I pray that he will, and he will do it for your glory. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.